This week's episode is brought to you by Third Eye Comics, your friendly neighborhood comic shop with seven locations in the Maryland, D.C., and Virginia area. They're your one-stop shop for all things comics, graphic novels, toys, games, records, movies, and more. Not local, but still looking for an awesome place to meet all your comic needs? They've got an amazing website, shop.thirdeyecomics.com, where you can browse thousands of items, Pre-order your new comics and have it sent right to your doorstep for a flat $5 shipping rate. They were such a blessing during lockdown. Mm -hmm. Just as our Usagi Yojimbo passions were brewing, we were able to reach out to them, order all the books that they had on their shelves, all the saga collections from Dark Horse Comics, and get them to our door lickety split. And here's a little hot tip. They have out-of-print comics at cover price. I hate to tell you that because we want them all for ourselves. We do not have a Third Eye Comics near us, but we do make the long trek out to Annapolis on a routine basis because the shop is so grand and gorgeous. And it's an honor to have Third Eye Comics sponsoring Comic Book Couples Counseling because, yes, they are one of the best comic book shops in the country. Google any best comic book shop list and you will find them. And it's in no small part because they have the kindest, most helpful, coolest staff on the planet. They will fill your comics niche. But again, even if you're not within driving distance, it's worth checking out their website. Find a link in the show notes and start browsing and shopping today. Third Eye is here to help you read comics, play games, collect toys, spin records, and never grow up. You are now in session with the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast. I'm Lisa Gullickson. I'm Brad Gullickson. And each month we evaluate a different iconic romance within the four-color realm. In this episode, we are tooting away on our ocarinas while the real men do the work in our creator corner. We're talking to master cartoonist Tom Scholey about I Am Stan from 10 Speed Press. I think it's appropriate that we are flashing back to the early days of Marvel Comics and the origins of comics in general with this episode, because currently our apartment is kind of closing in on us. (laughs) All these short boxes just keep growing and growing. We have become, I can't say hooked because we've been hooked already, but we've become re-hooked. We've re-engaged with our passion for dollar bins. And we suffer under the delusion of like, if we just keep organizing it, somehow our collection, our growing collection will take up somehow the same amount of space. Or less space. Yeah. Uh, Like last night, I was like, Lisa, no, no, no. I think if we uh, organize these dollar bin issues into this shape, we can (laughs) fit it into the walk-in closet. And friends, we're here to tell you that we cannot. We keep saying, you know, it has to look look worse before it gets better. Right, right. right. It just keeps getting worse. It just gets worse and worse with every like, oh, I got this. But we've recently hit a rich vein of dollar comics that we just have to take home. Yeah, that are undeniable. You know, all the stores around us have created dollar bins now. You know, Big Planet Comics now has one. Third Eye Comics has buys and bargains. Richard McKay's used books. Second and Charles. 
uh, and Tashi Station, which is a place that we never really visited, but they've pulled out all these comics from some portal somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where they found these things. And they're just trying to unload their backstock. And there's good stuff in that backstock, like actual gold, demon bear issues of the new mutants. But I feel like the word has gotten out about Tashi Station <laughs> because we're finding ourselves shoulder to shoulder with other like dollar bin yeah, enthusiasts. Yeah, you know, on Saturday, we went to the Tashi Station Echo Base in Centerville mm -hmm. and, you know, just made an absolute killing. Uh, we found all of the Nth Men, the Ultimate Ninja, Larry Hama's Marvel series. And we had built kind of a, um, a very visible stack. Right, right of things that we were considering or, or probably just buying. And it was such an addictive experience. I wanted to continue it when you were working on Sunday. So while you were out and about, I then went to the Tashi Station store in Springfield and they had brought out even more boxes of dollar bins outside their store. When I got there, it was just me. And, you know, I, you know, I work left to right from there's two tables, 10 long boxes, uh, five on top, five below. And I'm working left to right. And as I'm like on the fifth box, a person comes and stands right next to me. Whoa. <laughs> And it starts flipping through, right? And I was like, like well, so, like, at, like directly the next box. Yeah, ex exactly the next box. And I'm like, well, there's like a whole other table over there. That's, that's just rude. That's like poor <laughs> bin etiquette. Well, what it does is it creates now in me this insane sense of urgency, <laughs> where like now I cannot casually flip through these dollar uh, comics. Now I have to rapidly get through all of them and find the gold before this person does. As you should. And so then I start going under. So he's on top. I'm going below. And then he, and then I was like, okay, I can't handle the stress of being right next to this guy. I'm just going to give up these five boxes below and let him go to town. So I move over to the other table and I start going through. And then he moves over the, to the other table and starts going through. This time he's coming from the right to my left. And so we're kind of going to meet in the middle, uh -huh. but I got to meet in the middle before he does <laughs> to, to get the gold, to get like the demon bear issue. She's of the new mutants. What? So, like, he didn't look at the. He didn't finish that. No, other he table? didn't. He's he, like, like I think he felt what what I was feeling. Like, I got to get ahead of this guy. If this guy's over here, what if the gold's over there? So, you know, like, like, yeah, yeah, that's what was, what was going on. Yeah. I, I wonder, like, stressful. what the move is because just because it's two people digging in the same boxes, it doesn't mean that you're looking for the same stuff. Well, like when you're at a comic book convention, like when you're at Baltimore and you go to a booth, you're always shoulder to shoulder with people mm -hmm, looking at comics. Mm -hmm. And some people are, you know, well, you know, like we're not all looking for the same things theoretically, right? Like, right. you know, my thing might be New Mutants today and the person next to me is looking for Usagi Yojimbo issues. But the fear is when you find the person who's also looking for New Mutants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that happens occasionally at comic book conventions. And, and it's not like a big deal, but there's something different about the dollar bin effect, right? Because it's so cheap and, the, you know, those dollars are burning a hole. It's like and going to a stripper club <laughs> with like a fat wad. You're ready to go. Let's burn through this cash. And then suddenly, you know, somebody eyes your stripper. I don't I've know never how gone far, to a stripper club. I don't know, I don't how, know how that we works. We can take this metaphor. But to me, I feel like dollar bin etiquette 
should be like like public restroom etiquette where it's like you yes. don't take the stall right next yes. to somebody who's in a stall you leave a courtesy stall but the, sometimes there are people who do not know that etiquette and yeah. sometimes there's there's not an option sometimes you got to take the stall next to them but if there's like 12 free stalls right there's you don't no take reason. the stall next to the neck the next to a person right you at least give a buffer of another stall same thing for comic bin diving, I think. Yeah, yeah. So when like, you're not at a con. So what's the know. move then? <laughs> so do you like? I think the move then would be like, hey, friend, what are you looking uh, for? Uh, uh, I well, that's. I mean, right? Like that's who my best self mm -hmm. in that moment would ask those questions. Like, what are you excited about? Oh, what are you finding? And, you know, I do the thing where it's like, well, what is in his pile? Oh, he does have some Marvel comics right now. So we are kind of like-minded. Uh-oh, he's the enemy. Uh -oh. <laughs> and maybe that was, that that negative impulse, uh, I shouldn't have embraced. Maybe I should have just get like, whoa, what are you looking for? Like, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's be, uh, let's celebrate comics together while yeah. we're in these bins. But neither of us were in a, like a friendly mode at that time. We were both in a very greedy mode and we plowed through those, <laughs> you know, 20 boxes real quick. I wish I was there. I wish <laughs> I was there to see like the, um, smoke coming off of your little fingers, your little flipping fingers. Yeah. 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 So like I filled a short box yeah, of comics did. that day. Yes, you did. <laughs> uh, uh, and yeah, it was gold. Cool. Like I said, we got some New Mutants. We got some Nth Man. You got some romance comics the day before. Mm -hmm. You got some really great Christian comics. Yeah, Christian Spire comics. They're fascinating because they are comic books that have been created to fool someone. Like, so they look like a fun swinging romance comic. And when you get into it, you go, oh, no, this is a 70s retelling of The Prodigal Son. Yeah, that's so good. But, like, apparently Christian Spire did a bunch of Archie comics. Oh. So I need those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I found an Archie comic while we were there with a Kelly Jones cover. Uh, the Adventures of Bayou Billy, I believe. Great cover. It's, like, 1990, so it's, like, peak nightfall or no, i guess not peak nightfall it's like pre-nightfall kelly jones doing an archie bayou billy cover and then the interiors were amanda connor art mm -hmm. and like that's really like the true gold of a dollar bin are these things that you never knew existed you know like marshall rogers doing like detectives inc comic well what's what's detectives inc i love marshall rogers let's read this thing mm -hmm. uh and that's honestly why i love dollar bins and when you're looking for that stuff Generally, you don't run into like other people competing for those books. Right. Well, I think of dollar bins as kind of like like going to a state park mm. where like I feel like I'm a person who likes to just kind of aimlessly wander around and make discoveries. I'm not looking for anything. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. just kind of like, wow, this is really like this Christian Spire comic really weird. It has to come home with me. While other people like you, you have like specific things that you're looking for and you are <laughs> trying to complete Nth Man and well, things well, like well, that. Yeah. And like, I'm not so worried about finding another person that's going to you know steal Nth Man away from me because that person I definitely want to talk to. Like you're also looking for Nth Man. We're buds. We're, <laughs> we're, we're besties. Yeah. I think it was the fact that I found that demon bear issue of new mutants and then realized that there could be other 
books of that value, of that quality in these bins. Right. So I think that that person is like the mountain climber. Like, so I'm like the aimless wanderer. Uh-huh. You're like, let's walk the path. <laughs> yeah. And there are people who are going in there for peril. They're yeah. like, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to spend this money on comics. Or this time hope, on comics. With too. the hope yeah. of flipping them and yeah. making yeah. my my fortune. Yeah. Like yeah. so they're it's like they're mountain climbers. And here's the here's the heinous thing about me in that situation. I have those new mutants issues already. <laughs> so you were like the grizzly bear. I was just a monster, and I've just admitted. So much awfulness about myself on this podcast. But the beautiful thing. <laughs> that, that Brad is not the best Brad. But the beautiful thing about a national park is yeah. that there's room for everyone. Yeah. yeah. And um, we're all paying taxes on it anyway. Because <laughs> our buying of regular Wednesday comics is paying the rent for the space yeah. that that allows those uh, dollar sure, comics to be sure. there, right? Yeah. Is my metaphor? No, I don't think so. Okay, I sorry. don't think so. I think uh, you are now going into the stripper <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We like to take a metaphor just a few steps and too far. Like, oh, nope, nope. That doesn't work. That Let's doesn't test work. these boundaries. Uh, but we've been having a great time with dollar bins, but maybe we need to ease back. And all, you know, also well, just Well, the like, thing is the vein is going to dry up. Yeah, and, and the Tashi Station guys told us that, right? Like, they only have so much backstock that they're looking to really unload. And so they're looking to do this through the summer and then hopefully be done with it. So, like, yeah, we got to mine for that gold now. Right, right. But now everyone listening to this, you know, start driving to Tashi Station. Uh, you know, they might have the particular gold that you're looking for. Um, but they don't They don't have any more New Mutants issues. <laughs> Yeah. Unless they do. Unless they do. And <laughs> they, they just haven't brought it out yet. Yeah. Look what Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and all those cool cats have done to us. These, they're fans. They're obsessives. Uh, very excited to have Tom Scholey back on the podcast talking about Marvel Comics. Uh, he's been on the show twice before. He first came on. He was one of our first guests, actually. Yeah. Uh, he came on to talk about his graphic novel biography, Jack Kirby, The King of Comics. And then we had him on to talk about uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design and also just to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the Fantastic Four. And he's always just a great hang. You know, he's so informative. He's... So, um, you know, passionate. He's yeah, passionate like all like of us. He has a reverence yeah, for the and medium. And he has a reverence, right? And when we had him on the show that first time and we were talking about what comes after Jack Kirby, the King of Comics, you know, we asked him if he had an idea to do like a Stan Lee graphic novel biography. And he was pretty hesitant at the time. Yeah. Uh, but here we are. And we've got this glorious book. I Am Stan from 10 Speed Press, which came out last year and was easily one of our favorite books from last year. But it's a challenging book. Challenging in that it it challenges the narrative we all have in our heads. Yeah, and our reverence Stanley. for yeah, Stanley. Yeah, absolutely. I, feel, I know that I've been on a journey with my understanding of Stanley and his legacy. And it's had its ups and downs, to say the least. Like, I remember the first time... I was in the presence of Stanley 
and I was just like utterly in awe. I was like, I was, I was ready to give him credit for the entire like Baltimore Comic Con. I'm like, you did this. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no doubt that Stan Lee played a huge role, a primary role in the comic book industry, and where we are today exists because of that role. But then you, then I gained a more of an understanding of how he maybe exalted himself on the backs of other writers and artists and was perhaps taking more credit than he actually deserved. And flourished financially, whereas many of the others did not. And then we had our interview with Josephine Riesman and their book, True Believer, and I found in myself this deep well of empathy for this person. And then I hauled all of this baggage into my reading of I Am Stan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the same for me too, right? And what's fascinating about I Am Stan is the way that Tom Scholey constructs it using stories that Stan has told himself. There is a great appendices at the end of this novel that includes various citations to interviews, biographies, articles, and the like. So it creates this authenticity. Yet at the same time, it is being constructed by the cartoonist Tom Scholey, and it's being illustrated with a point of view and a fury and an urgency that I find very attractive, but ultimately complicated. I feel like he's using the citations like citations of an essay saying like, this is my point of view. This is my opinion. But at the same time, I'm not coming up with this whole club. Yeah, I'm backing it up. Which is appropriate because I feel like to a lot of people, Stan Lee is extraordinarily dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's dear to us, right? And there are moments in this book that are going to upset that reverence, right? And you just look at the cover of I Am Stan and a lot is being said there that on the surface you might miss, but it's sharp. Like there's a point to that cover. And then you open it up to that first page where it's now an elderly Stan Lee forgetting his name, but being kind of forced to sign all of these autographs and there's hurt there. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it's it's a... (laughs) The the moment you start reading this book, it's difficult. If you are a person like Lisa and our and, and myself, who is just in love with the Stan Lee that's been living in our imaginations for decades. For any comics enthusiast, though, I feel like having a more complete understanding of who Stan Lee was and what Stan Lee stood for will only deepen your appreciation Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm, comics mm -hmm. as a medium. Yeah, and I Am Stan does operate like a gateway comic thanks to those appendices, right? Mm -hmm. It will point you to various articles, various books for further reading, and we've both done that since reading I Am Stan, and it just continues our evolution, uh, the, the the, the evolution of our relationship with Stan the Man Lee. I feel like this conversation with Tom Scholey kind of completed the circuit for me and this book, though. Because I feel like I Am Stan kind of left me on this, in this raw place, where I feel like 
well, how am I supposed to feel then? And then to talk to Tom and have him still love Stan so much and still hold so much respect for him. I, it almost felt like permission to continue loving Stan Lee for the flawed individual that he was. Yeah, the conversation you're about to hear is not necessarily the conversation I thought we were going to have with Tom. Mm -hmm, same. And I love that. However, before we get to the conversation, Lisa, we have to do some referrals. Sponsored by Omnibus. Omnibus is a modern digital comic book store and reader app carrying your favorite single issues, volumes, and omnibuses all day and date. Just like your local comic book store, you pay per book, but digital. Their focus is on building an excellent customer shopping and reading experience and using novel discovery features to help fans find their next new favorite book. They feature top-tier content and already have many of the top publishers in comics today. In the spirit of helping people find their next new favorite book, we have our referrals segment. The idea is to give our counselees, that's you guys, further reading on the themes of the episode. Think of it as us sending you to specialists to further your healing journey through comic books. For my referral today, I wanted to pick another graphic novel biography, and the first one that came to mind that is also available on Omnibus is Corin Shadby's Bella Lugosi graphic mm. novel. Uh, Bella Lugosi, like Stan Lee, uh, is a complicated figure. Uh, obviously, a figure that had a lasting impression on our cultural imagination. And, you know, when you think of Dracula and we think about Dracula all the time because they keep making movies based on Bram Stoker's book. But when we think of Dracula now, at least I do, I think about his version of Dracula first and I compare all other Draculas to what Bela Lugosi laid down back in that original Universal Monsters movie. And... If you've seen Ed Wood, you know that Bela Lugosi led a very sorrowful life, especially towards the end. But you may not have fully understood or appreciated how he got to that point in Ed Wood. And I was so thankful for Corin Shadmi's graphic novel because it filled in the gaps between the Universal Monster movie and the Tim Burton uh, biography. And like you were saying about your relationship with Stan Lee after reading True Believer, it helped me empathize with Bella Lugosi. Uh, and, and it gave me a better appreciation of not only the person, but what he was able to create with Dracula. Yeah, it like helps you separate the human being from the icon, or at least close the space a little bit. Yeah, and it's kind of cool how when you do that, it actually helps you uh, love the individual parts more yeah. and also, you know, the culmination of them coming together, you know, it, yeah. the human and the character. It deepens your relationship to both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like uh, Corin Shadmi has done a bunch of graphic novel biographies. Uh, I think most of them through humanoids and most of them are currently available on Omnibus. For my referral, I wanted something that de-glamorized the making of comics. Not like it's a particularly glamorous <laughs> pursuit, but sometimes like... Idolize. You know, yeah, we, yeah, you want to believe that people who have the most talent get the furthest. Like you want to believe in the meritocracy of it all. But of course it is more complicated than that. So what popped into mind 
was Con and On mm. by Paul Cornell and Marika Cresta. Yeah, which is about to get collected as a trade paperback from Ahoy, but all the single issues are currently on Omnibus. Con and On is about two friends who go to their first convention with their portfolios, hoping to break into comics. And they each end up having very different experiences. And those experiences don't necessarily relate directly to the quality of the work in their portfolios. I'm trying not to get like spoilery. I think one of the things you can spoil though is that each issue of Con and On jumps in time yes. and jumps along their timeline of creation within the comics industry. And so you get to like do the mental math of like how far is this person from achieving their dream versus the expectation that they had going to that first convention. We actually talked to Paul Cornell on our Patreon as a creator cranny, and it was another conversation where I went into it going like, I'm not sure if this first issue of Con and On is like mean-spirited or not, because I love the convention experience so much, and I hate the idea of someone who doesn't understand what cons are really like picking up this comic and being like turned off, but once I started talking to Paul and he started telling us about his experience being a comics insider and how much he really does love the industry, he just would love for things to become more equitable. Yeah, and as the issues progress, the love for the industry and the love for the medium and the love for the convention scene becomes more and more apparent. Right. Uh, and it's only highlighted by, you know, all the awful stuff that is explored in these books too. Right, right. So I feel like if you've had the con experience and you want a little bit of a glimpse from the inside, like the more, like the less the fan track and more like the industry yeah, track. Yeah, what's, what's the con like for the person on the other side of that table, on yeah. the other side of that uh, transaction? And I'll just say it right now. It's like not a tragedy. Like it's, it's not all doom and gloom and nobody's ever going to make it. It's an unnecessarily tough road to hoe for some people over others. The access for certain people over others is just completely unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's an honesty in Con and On that's uh, very appealing. And it's only five issues. They're about to be collected, but why not read it now? Yeah. Why not? Because it's all on Omnibus. And you don't need an iPad. You don't need the app to access Omnibus. If you have a browser, you have a shop ready for you. So hit the links in the show notes, get to browsing, get to shopping on Omnibus today. Referrals. So hopefully you're now all set to reflect on your adoration for comics and characters like Stan Lee, and we can just bring Tom Scholey into our love nest for a little conversation. There is one thing that I want to set up, though. Like, so I... This is a spoiler-free conversation, spoiler-free as much as, like, it's Stan Lee's biography. <laughs> <laughs> but there is one turning point in the book, and I mentioned in this conversation there is one splash page, so I want to set that up. Stan Lee has just shaved his beard off for the first time, and he's hired an agent to do speaking engagements at colleges of, like, how do you break into the comics biz? Then we see him at one of these engagements, and he has what's becoming the signature hair. He's wearing red sunglasses. And the only splash page in this entire book 
is a picture of Stan pointing right at you from the page and giving this piece of advice. If you want to make it in comics, the best thing you can do is first establish yourself in a different field. And so I ask Tom Scholey directly about this moment. Yeah, I think like his whole narrative hangs on that page. Right, right. Uh, so yes, I Am Stan is currently available from 10 Speed Press. It's in hardcover, it's in paperback. The paperback is wonderful, but the hardback lays on the table so nicely. Oh, so yeah. I recommend the hardback. And on that note, here's Tom Scholey. Tom, welcome back to Comic Book Couples Counseling. Hello. It's great to be back. It's great to have you back, especially talking about I Am Stan. Uh, when you first came on to talk about Jack Kirby, the epic life of the King of Comics, we briefly touched upon the idea of you maybe doing a Stan Lee graphic biography, but you weren't 100% sure, and you were thinking that you really needed to figure a way in to a Stan Lee uh, graphic biography. Uh, how did we finally get... I am Stan, and what was your in? Yeah, I mean, back then, I think I might have been 100% sure that I wasn't going to do a Stan Lee book. It's just, it's really hard. Like, that Jack Kirby book took a lot out of me. That was a real, uh, you know, a real labor. And, uh, you know, as soon as, you know, I had just finished it, and the last thing I wanted to do was do another uh, biography, particularly one that's, um, you know, in that same world, the way, you know, a Stanley one would. So I, I needed about a year or two of time to kind of, you know, catch my breath before I was ready to dive back into that world. But yeah, I, I didn't really see a way in at that point. I mean, there was like working on the Jack Kirby book, there were moments where when Stan's in there, where it kind of almost threatens to become a Stan Lee book. Like you could, Stan definitely has this like gravity to him, this, this pull, you know, and, um, you know, and, and kind of demands to be the center of attention, even, even when you're, you know, creating a book. And so uh, it, it, it feels like, a, like looking back, it feels like a very natural place to go. But yeah, at the time I was not ready for it. And just, um, you know, just having some time to think about his life and what it means and how it all goes together, um, I kind of started to see a way of doing it that would make it um, very different from the Jack Kirby book, which was important to me. It was important to not sort of repeat myself, go over the same ground. Uh, and and so part of it was just like the very different style of it. it, it I, I mean, I, I don't know if it, if it comes across uh, for the both of you reading it, but oh, absolutely! When I look when I look at it and when I read it, it reads very differently than than the comics I've done up to this point. It looks very different, so uh, you know I was really happy about that. To me, like if I was to try to put my finger on the difference for myself, the Jack Kirby book is a little bit more romantic. It's a little bit more gauzy, where I feel like there is a sort of literalism that comes through the Stan Lee story. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the Stan Lee book, it is um, like the, the Jack Kirby book was very internal. Jack Kirby, mm -hmm. uh, you know, for a lot of his life, you know, with the exception of his very violent and turbulent childhood and then his military service uh, for the rest of his life, he lived a very internal life, uh, very solitary. I mean, he was home he was surrounded by family, but he did spend a lot of time 
in his own head, in his in his studio, in these like worlds that he created. Um, so the the book ended up being a very like internal narrative and very um, um, yeah, very like like you're you're in his world. You're not so much in the external world where um, Stan Lee was a, a much more um, extroverted person and sort of, um, you know, Marvel throughout the years had, you know, was sort of a um, Grand Central Station, you know, that that Stan Lee was kind of like the conductor and all these, you know, people coming and going. And Stan uh, was a very like active sort of like physical fitness kind of kind of person, you know, constantly in motion, um, you know, like even when I met him, you know, when, when he was, uh, you know, an old man at that point, he, he would, you know, so he could like run up the stairs, he, you know, he's very light on his feet. And, um, and, and so it, it, it I, I figured, let me, you know, make a little stage for Stan and let him do his thing and just kind of see where he goes. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about the cover of the book before we dig into the contents of the book, because I feel like it reads two very different ways, depending on your knowledge of Stan Lee. You know, I was at Barnes and Noble just the other day and it's a great cover. I was there with my dad. It's in the graphic novel section face out. You can see it from space. Practically (laughs) that bright yellow kind of flash that's on the title of I am Stan, a graphic biography of the legendary Stan Lee. And Stan Lee himself, you know, he's got, he's he's in the mode we all know Stan Lee to be, you know, the, the glasses, the hair, uh, the sweater, and he's signing stacks of autographs uh, uh, for- Of pictures of himself. Of, of pictures of himself, right. Um, and so I think, you know, my dad, who doesn't necessarily know who Stan Lee, he sees that and he goes- oh, wow, like, look at this celebration of Stan Lee. And someone like myself, who's maybe a little more entrenched in the history of Stan Lee, uh, sees that and goes like, ooh, this is a pretty pointed cover. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about designing that cover and what you were hoping to get as a reaction to it uh, from readers? You know, designing a cover, it's the hardest part. it, It doesn't take as many hours as you know, all the other aspects of making a book, but it is like, you want to get it right. There's a lot of, uh, you know, cutting room floor stuff. And, you know, I mean, I just, I I tried every imaginable thing. And also like coming from the Jack Kirby book, I'd already been, you know, I had a million Jack Kirby covers and discarded ideas. So now it's like, okay, another comics creator. And, you know, how do you depict it? So there were so many different approaches and yeah, one of them is, you know, Stan, you know, signing books and it's like, you know, well, which Stan is it going to be and what's he going to be signing? And I mean, you know, towards the end of his life, Stan Lee was signing pictures of himself. Like you could, you can find those, you can find those. Now that wasn't my original intent for the cover. In my original intent, it was going to be, he'd be signing, uh, you know, Fantastic Four number one you know, maybe, you know, you know, various kinds of comics and things like that. But then it became like an issue of like clearances and things like that. And like, not, you know, not being able to, to put Fantastic Four number one art on the cover. And so just in this sort of editing process, mm. th- that it naturally went to that, okay, well, what could he be signing other than that? And it's like, okay, well, he can be signing pictures of himself, which is real, which is true. But yet it, it sort of arrived at, um, 
kind of, yeah, a very pointed place. That that does make a statement. A guy signing stacks and stacks of, of his own picture is kind of a statement that I didn't initially set out to make, but kind of uh, arrived at in the natural creative process and, uh, you know, signed off on it. So, you know, there it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, like the legend of Stanley is so immense that he, you know, people know Stanley who have never picked up a comic book. Disney Plus just did this, you know, um, I can't think of a, any other phrase. So I'm just going to call it a puff piece documentary uh, about Stanley's life. And then I feel like I, I would love to know the person who watched that documentary, who's who knows Stanley from all the Marvel cameos, they pick up your book and they open it to the first page before the title even happens. And you have that infamous story illustrated exceptionally of Stanley later in life towards the end, signing comics and he can't remember his name and his handlers are spelling his name to Stanley. And it's such a gut wrenching moment right off the bat. And I want to know what it's like for the person who's watched that documentary, who picks up that book and starts reading it that way. Like, are they your intended reader? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, so you're telling me that the documentary didn't start with that. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it yet. So Tom, it didn't it start with that. Not. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm glad, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, tread on each other's toes. Um, yeah. I mean, to me, like that moment was a, a big part of what made me want to tell Stan's story. And it, um, you know, that and that moment, it's kind of like anybody who saw that because there's video of it and anybody who saw that, like myself included, it just that one moment completely changed the story of Stan Lee or, or my understanding of the story of Stan Lee and gave it a completely different shape. Uh, you know, a year or two prior to that, you know, if you were telling the story of Stan Lee, it, it, it would be a very different story. And that just kind of changed everything. And I felt like like I kind of had to begin there and then kind of, you know, show how we got there. Um, so what was your research process like? Like you said, you had already done a ton of research towards the Jack Kirby story. Did you have your narrative kind of in shape and then you found the sources to support that, like the sources that you knew existed? Or was it like, okay, I'm going to re-amass a body of research and then from there pick those strings up? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's kind of like a, you know, like like a picture starting out as kind of like a gray blur mm -hmm. and like slowly coming into focus um, because yeah like just just as a comics fan and somebody who's uh, like a comic scholar I knew I had a pretty good sense of the Stan Lee story I mean mm -hmm. I, I didn't have it as well as I had the Jack Kirby story in mind before I started the Jack Kirby book but by the time I finished the Jack Kirby book my concept of the story of Stan Lee was was a lot clearer um and then yeah when it was time to make a Stan Lee book it's like okay I gotta like roll up my sleeves and yeah do some I have some catching up to do because I I you know needed to get kind of in there in sort of the uh the micro and the macro level and just uh look at all of it so I did there were um you know sort of big you know blurry areas and gaps in my understanding of Stan Lee and my knowledge of his stuff that I had to, I, I had to acquaint myself with. And a big part of it is sort of, um, you know, coming from like a Kirby 
point of view, I, I had a pretty good understanding of early golden age Stan Lee. And then once Simon and Kirby leave, little little bit hazy there. And then the war years, the funny animal stuff, um, you know, the 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 50s of Stanley, uh, with, with a couple exceptions. You know, I have like a little bit of a knowledge. Uh, I had I went in there with a little bit of a knowledge of like um, the, the attempts at reviving Captain America, you know, things like that. But Stanley was so busy. Uh, you know, all through the forties and fifties and, and yeah, that stuff I had, I had to kind of learn from scratch and it was uh, really interesting delving into that world. Cause again, I, I did, I, I, you know, kind of did, did a lot of, spent a lot of time in that golden age comics world with Jack Kirby. But then you look at the Stan, you know, Stan Lee, what he was doing and it's, there's some overlap here and there, but it's, it, it was largely uh, new territory for me. And was it revelatory for you? Did it change your perspective on him as a person? Uh, oh, definitely. I mean, th the one thing I had sort of things that I was hoping to find in there that um, I didn't quite find. And then other things like, because I was, what I was looking for was, it, it, it's almost like a scientific method where you're, you, you have your hypothesis. And so you're looking for the thing that would uh, contradict or rule out your hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So what I was looking for was I was looking for some example of this sort of, you know, Stan Lee, the genius. I was looking for some, some uh, evidence of that prior to, you know, the sort of, you know, uh, early 60s stuff with Jack Kirby. I was looking for some story with somebody else that has a lot of those, like, that, that has like the Marvel Comics voice. And I, I couldn't find that. I couldn't, like I could find so, like some stories that, that Stan Lee did, particularly when he was in sort of like EC Comics imitation mode. You know, some of the horror stories, they were like a little bit smarter. They were kind of approaching, but none of them quite got there. I, I couldn't find this like smoking gun of like, okay, here's the proof. That, that Stan Lee had like figured something out uh, independent of Jack Kirby or independent of, of Steve Ditko. I couldn't find that. I could find like, you know, little little bits and pieces and, and uh, definitely a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of the EC influence, the sort of, uh, you know, his, his attempts at sort of mad magazine style humor, which ends up being an element of of the superhero books and, and uh, you know, romance and stuff. I just, that, that that sort of Stan Lee patented, you know, snappy patter and complicated plot lines and um, like intertwined romances and things like that, they 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 do coincide with the arrival of of Jack Kirby and and Steve Ditko. So um, so that that you know that was that was one you know one thing that was sort of a question mark in my head and then kind of you know. Got got an answer that that maybe wasn't as satisfying. How does your feeling about Stanley today differ from your feeling of Stanley before you made the book? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I went into it with a lot of empathy for Stanley, and and particularly you know, talking about his, uh, you know, his later days, 
and and, and what some of that implied about him that that mm -hmm. about his life and and sort of uh you know as social as he was and as um you know sort of uh endearing and ingratiating you know it seemed like there was you know there there was a lack of connection in certain ways and like you definitely see that with his relationship with his brother Larry Lieber it seemed like Stan had a lot of superficial relationships with people and 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 um you know it was he he didn't really uh make himself available in that way and I think he um you know he he suffered, you know, the lack of that, like, like he, he wasn't doing himself any favors. Uh, so I, but I, I went in with, a, with a lot of empathy and, and yeah, like, um, it's still pretty fresh. I mean, I, I finished the book not that long ago. So I'm still like, I kind of lived in his shoes for, you know, a, 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 this long extended time where like every day was okay. I'm in Stan Lee's world and Stan, you know, so I, I, I'm, I definitely feel uh, like a connection to him and uh which i i really didn't feel prior to that i mean i had an appreciation and and um you know i had a range of feelings you know good and bad uh, about him and his work and his legacy but um you know now i i just i feel like like it's it's become part of me and i don't know if maybe uh you know after a couple of years it'll kind of that'll that'll sort of go away or if um you know if it's sort of you know here to stay yeah, I can only imagine what it's like to actually materialize these moments. You know, reading them, I go through so many emotions. And, you know, Lisa and I, I think we've read so many Stan Lee biographies. We've watched documentaries, Marvel documentaries, Sean Howe's book, you know, uh, all that stuff. Um, but there's something about absorbing it in the form that Stan Lee is associated with. There's something about reading Stanley's life in the graphic novel form that connects me as a reader to him in a way that no other medium can. And you're the executor of that. And I, I guess the question is, you know, you're, you're hitting these highlights, these iconic moments that most of us know about, but you're also hitting these moments that most of us really never consider, especially the stuff in the latter, in the latter years of his life, and I don't want to like, I mean, we know how that life ends. It ends, right? But those last few pages, when you're illustrating those, what is your emotional experience? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really tough. Like I I was uh, you know, kind of kind of shaken by by some of that stuff, especially um, you know, get getting so deeply into it, like like really spending time contemplating it and and yeah, drawing it and and uh, and those, and, and I, you know, the book, I kind of, you know, it, it, it's mostly linear, you know, there's a little bit of jumping around here and there, but it's mostly linear. So I was doing, you know, I was kind of in that, those last days of Stan Lee, I was kind of in that world, you know, to, towards the end of this process. And so I'd been on that whole journey and it was just, being immersed in that, it, it was a lot. And it, it, it put me in a bad mood. Like I was in yeah. a bad mood, uh, you know, while I was working on that stuff. And, you know, there were some things that would, you know, uh, that I'd see in like, you know, in the comics world or in comics news or, or just in sort of, you know, show business news or whatever that like really like bothered me uh, extra, you know, just, you know, you know, and, and there are, you know, there are other people who've, gone through like a similar 
trajectory as Stan. And like, I was very sensitive to those kind of stories around that time. And and now I feel like I'm kind of back to normal, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was like a demon that had to be exercised. And you've mentioned this a little bit already. You have a different um, aesthetic to I Am Stan. Uh, You know, the panel layout is very unique in this uh, graphic novel. um, And it reads uh, just in a, in a different way than the Jack Kirby book. Like, can you talk about landing on the panel layouts of this comic? Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, the, the layouts were made for speed. They were made mm-hmm. like for speed of reading to make the, I, and it's something I've been working on and wanting to do for a really long time is, uh, you know, just make a comic that's, just so easy to read like just just make the reading experience incredibly pleasurable and just get out of the way and 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 focus on just that and that sort of widescreen aesthetic which is what most of the pages are just that's where i arrived but that that just felt like um you know just a really good way of and, and stan lee is somebody who knows how to tell a story who's very um you know he he can he knows how to be entertaining he knows how to sort of, you know, walk you through something. And I wanted this reading experience to be like that, to be like the, you know, the Stan Lee you would meet at a party that like, you know, this sort of, you know, breezy, just uh, like extremely, like it goes down easy, like a very pleasurable reading experience. And, and that, you know, and then there's other sort of, you know, side things that come as a result, like one of them being just sort of the, the widescreen movie uh, experience and, and mm-hmm. how his life, you know, how he wants to be on a stage and and he wants to be in pictures and then you know eventually gets there it, it it that that felt like another another element that like reinforced that structure then another beautiful thing about this being a graphic novel where you do strenuously include those references and you're you're and you're using you know Stan's own words but a lot of nuance can be added in the way that you depict those instances and i'm very curious about the way that you use shadow in this book um can you talk a little bit about that yeah i mean i i really wanted to get out of the way as much as possible like just mm-hmm. you know point the camera at stan and see what he does and um you know just just get out of the way and do sort of um minimal cartooning like really and and yes yeah, silhouette and you know, shadow and and pantomime are are such a big part of that. It, it um, there's there's aspects of like documentary in this. It, mm-hmm. It's it's got some of the rhythm of a documentary, uh, but th- there's also like a vaudevillian aspect to it too. And 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 where sort of uh, you know pantomime and and shadow and um, and light source at, for sort of drama and framing and illustration uh yeah in it and and this sort of you know light and dark and, and creating a rhythm uh, sh- mm-hmm. shadows really help you create like a reading rhythm too where you maybe have a couple panels that are sort of you know brightly lit everything's clear and then you stick a little silhouette in there or like a deep shadow and it just it, it creates a really nice reading rhythm and yeah maybe hits a note maybe maybe underscores uh a moment without you know having some uh thought balloon or caption or something you know just kind of again you know let 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 the the reader experience the way they if they the way they would a movie and if you watch 
if you watch a movie, it's like, you know, very rare and kind of old fashioned to have like a moment in the movie where it kind of stops and then there's a voiceover mm -hmm. from the character or something. Usually in movies, like information's communicated in, in a much more subtle way. And that's that's where like the, the language of cartooning helps because the language of cartooning, you sort of simplify it so that, you know, gestures and, and facial expressions can communicate things without a lot of verbiage. There is a total of one splash page in this book. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're comfortable with it, I would like you to talk about why you chose that moment. And did you, did you see that moment as a turning point or a North star for the rest of Stanley's career? Yeah. I mean, there, there is, um, and, and it's, uh, it's, you know, maybe the best bit of advice that Stanley mm -hmm. has ever given, uh, and it's, yeah, if it's, um, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it's something to the effect of, if you want to make it in comics, get famous in some other arena first. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, I mean, it was very, it was very prophetic. It, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and just so, sort of like the era of comics that I came into and I worked through, you would see a lot of that where it's like, okay, if you uh, you know, if you're on a TV show or if you're you're a novelist or you're this or that, like you 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 can move to the front of the line uh, ahead of the people who've sort of you know made their life in comics. You can move to the front of the line. So there's that. And yes, Stan was very canny. I, I mean, he he was you know he was like the youngest editor in comics uh, when he started, and and you know ran that whole uh, office more or less single handedly. You know, very very little oversight. Um, and unlike the DC office, he didn't have to like share power with a bunch of other editors uh, and develop little fiefdoms. He he had a lot of control. So he'd seen like exactly how far you can go within comics. And he'd seen, uh, you know, it, and this was after decades. He saw like, uh, you know, the this, this sort of shape of this labyrinth he was in and the limits of it. And, and yeah, that, that, that that was some you know hard earned wisdom on his part, and he really you know worked hard to to get himself uh, in front of uh, in front of audiences, um, you know the lecture circuit, uh, get on TV. I mean, he was you know very you know very early you know for that, and and w when I was a kid, that was you know my first experience of any kind of person who made comic books would be you know Stan Lee as a voiceover on the cartoons, but I mean, he was doing talk shows, all kinds of things. The way I interpret that quote coming out of Stanley's mouth is he always uh, carried a little bit of like self-loathing for being in comics. You know, he got the impression that he was worthy of great things and that like maybe comics wasn't a, a medium that he was anticipating creating space for himself in or that could be capable of great things at the time right well yeah because he um you know he he predates comic books you know he mm -hmm. was and 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 kirby too kirby was there before comic books and so those guys did kind of like they they couldn't connect to comic books emotionally the way that like anybody maybe born like a couple years after them could so even like steve ditko is younger than them by enough of a degree that he grew up with comics. He loved it. He loved Batman uh, and sort of, you know, carried that with him the rest of his life. Jack Kirby didn't, he, he grew up with comic strips and loved them. 
uh, but what he was really connected to were the pulps. And Stan Lee, he was really connected to sort of, um, you know, kid lit, like like the the, the uh, literature made for for children uh, at the time. But yeah, comics just had a stigma to them that I think he did internalize and and uh, could never quite shake and and had to um, uh, and you know. Um, it, it was not his preferred medium, but it was the medium he found himself in. And he, he came, he came to love it and respect it to a degree, but I don't, I, I think that's like a very real generation gap, uh, certainly between us and them where like, I grew up in the, uh, you know, in the, the beginnings of sort of the graphic novel thing where it's like comics were, were this, uh, you know, very fashionable and very respected. Like I, I didn't, grow like like that idea of comics being something to be ashamed of just doesn't i i just don't feel like i understand mm -hmm. it as, as like as a thing and that stan had it and stuff but i i don't i don't feel it the way like stan i think you know viscerally did i'm excited for folks to get their hands on i am stan it's out now uh i'm curious also to see how it's received uh, and possibly differently from the way that jack kirby uh the king of comics was received the epic life of the king of comics was received uh, because i do feel like there might be some people who are going to have their eyes opened in a in a way and they might be challenged or irritated by that yeah that'll be interesting because again like we you know we're in that comics world and we talk to comics people and so we you know we have our shorthand and like everybody you know everybody get you know gets it you know that we know knows you know and, and maybe some feel more of a sympathy for stan or a sympathy for jack and, and an antipathy for the other or whatever but yeah, everybody's yeah, we, aware we've kicked our sides <laughs> yeah exactly everybody's aware of that story and that idea but yeah you take one step outside of this world which is you know a very you know it's a very large world but there's a much 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 larger world that is outside that so yeah it will be interesting and the book is so brand new i i haven't really got a sense of uh, of that but it'll it'll be really interesting it'll be interesting even just um you know just the people in my life the people i know who aren't necessarily uh immersed in comics and just kind of you know just kind of see you know what what they have to say about it do you see your jack book and your stan book as like of a piece like are they related to each other or do you think that they're like two completely independent books i mean they're 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 definitely companion pieces and okay. i think the two of them you put the two of them together and they kind of tell a third story like i, mm -hmm. I think there's a really nice chemistry between the two uh but again like if if i tried to just sort of make the stan lee book kind of like jack kirby part two like mm -hmm. that wouldn't have worked like I, I really had to rethink everything from the ground up and just um and 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 almost do a, a book that's in i mean there is some overlap but there's so much that's different just about the, the approach and things um i i i the thing that was uh very difficult and i, and I think i managed to accomplish was making sure even though the books are from two different points of view and two different perspectives, that they don't contradict each other, mm -hmm. that they yeah. do like they, 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 and that was really difficult. Right. Um, and, um, I, it, you know, it, it's just like a difficult task, but, um, it, it uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I was happy about, uh, about managing to do that. You absolutely, you absolutely did manage to do that. Um, you say like when you read these two together, there's this third story that emerges. 
Do you feel like that story is a story about you or that story uh, well, is mean, a story about us, you know, as a, like a, a comics reading culture? Yeah, I mean, all, all of the above, like that is, and it is when you're, like they say that uh, all biography is autobiography, which like, every, I think everybody who makes a biographical work tries really, really hard to keep themselves out of it. But, um, but yeah, you can't, you know, and again, reading, the reader is, is like an, another collaborator, the reader. So the reader's having their experience. I mean, I can, I can think of things about the Stan Lee book. That, I mean, just, just the fact that I'm like a comics creator also, uh, there's a lot in the Stan Lee book that I can, I can relate to. And, um, you know, and also like, I mean, uh, you know, there were some things in my life, like, uh, I was my, like my father died over the course of working on this Stan Lee book. So I, I feel like, I mean, I did, I'm not telling the story of my dad or the story of me and my dad or anything, but I feel like a lot of the emotion was mm -hmm. kind of, you know, just looking at somebody who is, is kind of like a father figure. Like Jack, you know, Stan Lee is sort of like a comics father figure, Jack Kirby also, uh, you know, and, and a complicated one too. So it, I, it, it did, it did touch on like, at least emotionally, some, some, some similar notes. So last question then, Tom, is there a Steve Ditko book in you, a Neil Adams book in you, or even maybe a Tom Scholey book in you? Yeah, I mean that 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 would be rough. That would be that I mean, that's hard. I like I've I've never done autobiography and I'm very uh very respectful and impressed with people who do because it's um it's kind of uh like I just, I just don't know how they do it, but yeah, I, I that that would be interesting. A Steve Ditko book is kind of a natural, and I like I feel like that, yeah, that that could be very easily. Done. It, it's interesting you mentioned Neil Adams because I, I I kind of have been thinking about him a little bit lately, and and, and sort of in those, in, you know, in that, uh, you know, in that mode, it, like he'd be interesting too. There's a lot of interesting stories to tell in comics uh you know i i feel like maybe i have one or two more of these types like a, like a, a comic book biography book in but I don't, I don't know that i could uh i don't know that i have 10 of them in me <laughs> and there's there's a lot of people i'd like to uh you know spend that kind of time with yeah well we definitely have it in us to read 10 of them from you <laughs> that's the easy part that's we can do that yeah. you 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 handle the rest yeah. you make them right <laughs> So, Tom, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, as we said, the book's out now. Please find your local dealer and go scoop it up. Tom, have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too. And there you have it, our conversation with Tom Scholey talking about I Am Stan, the graphic novel that's currently out from 10 Speed Press. I love what he had to say about, like, when you read both his Kirby biography and his Stanley biography, this third mm -hmm. story emerges because like Brad and I talk about this all of the time. Like the second you're processing information, you're introducing fiction to the story. Like there's no such thing as like, unless you're like looking at a graph, I guess. Right. There's no such thing as information without a point of view because the fact that the information is there in the first place, the point of view emerges. And I love the idea of Tom Scholey writing these biographies about these different comic creators 
as kind of a backdoor way to tell his autobiography yes. about the way he looks at comics as a cartoonist and as a fan. Like right. I love that idea. I just I just keep like I keep noodling on that. Yeah, the ultimate uh Tom Scholey autobiography is his Jack Kirby book, his Stan Lee book and his Fantastic Four Grand Design book. And whatever books he comes up with next. Like to me like no matter what you are making out in the world, you are talking about yourself. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that he does level up from each project. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that he has moved into a new position of Tom Scholey-ness with I Am Stan. I don't think the Tom Scholey that we first spoke to could have created this work. And I'm excited to see how this Tom Scholey elevates into whatever that next project is. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Next week is actually going to be a surprise episode. We will be talking with another comic book creator. Yes, Jason Aaron. And we will be discussing everything that he's got going on with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ongoing and yeah, Lisa and I are beside ourselves. Then after that, we'll have our next Scott and Emma episode focusing on Avengers versus X-Men, which I have waded into, and it is very Scott-focused <laughs> at this point. And this Sunday, if you're in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, time to make the trek out to Winchester to the Alamo Draft House at 4 o'clock. We are screening the 90s superhero film The Meteor Man, and it is coming to you with a virtual introduction from writer, director, star, producer, Sir Robert Townsend. And don't forget the first ever CBCC Comic Con panel is happening at Washington, D.C.'s premier comic convention, Awesome Con, on March 8th at 8.30 p.m., a swinging evening panel <laughs> uh, in room 206. Brad, you know how I've been saying, like, March 8th, March 8th, that date sounds familiar. Yeah, it's our panel day. It's also Mickey Dolenz's birthday. Oh, <laughs> My favorite monkey. No wonder no wonder birthday. that date holds a special place in my mind and heart. There you go. I thought you were about to say like we can't do the panel because I have a work conflict and uh, I was I like I do not. You're going to quit. You're going <laughs> to quit your job because nothing's going to tear us away from doing the first ever comic book couples counseling panel. Please show up. Please show up. Put some butts in seats for us. We need them. <laughs> that's a weird way of putting it, but that's how I put it. We're not above begging <laughs> because we're doing it right now. Yeah, and we'll have buttons. We'll have new Our Psychic Rapport buttons. That's our uh, new monthly newsletter, which is free to join. Just hit the link in the show notes if you haven't done that already. And yeah, 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 yeah. That's exciting. We got exciting stuff going on. And then March, we're going to have some really epic episodes on top of concluding our Scott and Emma counseling session series. Okay, Brad, after that conversation, I feel like I'm ready to break into comics. Oh boy. So how about this? You draw all of the pictures from beginning to end, <laughs> and then I'll write the comic, okay? Okay, based on your intro and your outro, I know which side of the fence you fall on on the whole Kirby Lee debate. 
I fall on the side of where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? Uh, you can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, show poster, and fifth anniversary poster, send them to Karen Chap at Karen underscore X Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I'm always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Audible, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you prefer. We're everywhere. If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on all the socials at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Audible or Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an act of service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. I'm leaving a space because we might want to edit this out because some people might consider it spoilers. You might consider consider it. Okay. So I'm going to leave a space.